When you have jobs like this, you change people's lives. If somebody gets a, a first job, a better job, you, you're able to change people's lives for the better with, with jobs like this. And, and how, how could that be partisan, right? I mean, everybody wants that. Everybody wants to improve the lives of people in North Carolina. Hello, and welcome to the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast, brought to you by the North Carolina Sustainable Energy Association. I'm your host, Matt Abel. Hello, Squeaky Clean listeners. Welcome to the 62nd episode of the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast, where we bring you the latest in North Carolina clean energy news, policy, and more every two weeks. On today's episode, we're covering one of the biggest clean energy news stories in the state of North Carolina in 2021 from the perspective of someone who helped to make the whole thing happen. Plus, we're bringing back our friends from Conservatives for Clean Energy and the Chambers for Innovation and Clean Energy to talk about the best of the best businesses, policymakers, and chambers when it comes to their commitments to clean energy here in our state. But before we get there, a few news updates to round out the year. Last week, the U.S. Department of Energy announced that 21 state utility regulatory bodies across the country will receive technical assistance from the National Laboratories on grid modernization and energy transition-related topics. In a statement, the DOE stated that projects and modeling would focus on critical, emerging, and existing topics, including equity and justice, distributed energy adoption and integration, grid planning, and energy resilience. Among the mix of states selected to receive this technical assistance was North Carolina, where DOE will specifically focus on distributed energy resource adoption and integration. This assistance is critical in helping commissioners stay up to speed on the wave of advancements happening in the clean energy space. We've included a link to this story from Utility Dive in the show notes. In other news, action is starting to heat up at the North Carolina Utilities Commission relating to key provisions coming out of HB 951. In particular, we saw multiple filings occur just before the holidays on the topic of multi-year rate planning. In this case, the Energy Solutions for North Carolina Act authorized the utility to set rates for customers on a three-year cycle, allowing for increased rates over the course of those three years. In joint reply comments filed by the Carolina Industrial Group for Fair Utility Rates, or SIGFR, the Carolina Utility Customers Association, otherwise known as CUCA, the North Carolina Sustainable Energy Association, the North Carolina Justice Center, the North Carolina Housing Coalition, Sierra Club, and the Southern Alliance for Clean Energy, each of these organizations state that the utility's position on multi-year rate planning would prevent the North Carolina Utilities Commission from reviewing and correcting rates at the end of the three-year cycle to ensure additional consumer protections and prevent utility over-earning. These groups also object to the idea of limiting the scope of the Utilities Commission's annual review process, in which the utility argued could turn into mini-rate cases. The joint interveners also argue that should the North Carolina Utilities Commission adopt the utility's perspective, there may not be an incentive for the utility to file a new three-year plan at the end of each cycle, as the previous plan may be more profitable for the utility. Lastly, the opposing groups also point out that a carbon plan is required before multi-year rate planning is put into place. 
We'll include a link to the story in the Charlotte Business Journal, along with a link to the electronic filing in today's show notes. And now on to today's episode. So if you can think back all the way to early December, yes, yes, I know, that seems like ages ago now with all the food, family, and celebrations of the holidays. But if you can remember, back to early December, North Carolina was the subject of one of the largest electric vehicle announcements of the year, in which Toyota officially shared their plans to invest in our state to build a massive battery manufacturing facility. We're excited to share on today's episode the perspective of someone who's in the trenches helping to make this announcement happen for our state. Spoiler alert, it wasn't easy. And then, after we speak with our first guest, I'm excited to welcome back two voices you may remember from an episode we aired about this time last year to talk about the new winners of Clean Energy Champions Awards as part of their annual Clean Energy Champions event. So, let's jump into it. Clean Energy. Our first guest on today's episode comes to us with years of experience within the economic development field dating back to his days leading up the Gainesville Area Chamber of Commerce in Gainesville, Florida as its president and CEO. He then went on to serve as the executive director of the Mississippi Development Authority, where he oversaw the agency's services ranging from traditional business recruitment, retention, and expansion assistance to developing unique state assets. Then, in June of 2015, our guest joined the Greensboro Chamber of Commerce as its president and CEO, where he leads the lead economic development organization in the Greensboro area, as well as Launch Greensboro and Action Greensboro. Friends of the pod, please welcome Brent Christensen to the podcast. So as our listeners have probably heard by now, last week, Toyota announced a $1.29 billion investment in the Randolph County megasite, which is just south of Greensboro, to open a manufacturing facility uh, that will produce batteries for electric vehicles within the Toyota lineup and create 1,750 new jobs. So what many people probably don't realize is that this announcement was a long time in the making. So Brent, can you tell us a little bit more about the process of recruiting an EV manufacturer like Toyota to the region? Yeah, I think uh, I think we first have to start off, and you said it uh, a long time coming. To to even have a mega site is is not an easy task, right? So mega sites in economic development are a thousand acres and uh, and up in terms of the size of that mega site. Um, Ten years ago, we in Greensboro and Randolph County uh, decided that we wanted to have one of these mega sites. We had noticed. Um, and a lot of folks noticed that we had not been participants. North Carolina had not in kind of the automotive manufacturing um, uh, trend throughout the southeastern United States. Let's just put it that way. Um, we had an early opportunity with Mercedes Benz that wound up going to uh, to Vance, Alabama, and really it kind of backed off since then. And so the thought was, hey, you know, this region in terms of uh, manufacturing jobs had really um, lost a, a large number of jobs due to um, offshoring. Uh, we are, we've long been known for tobacco, textiles, and furniture, and those have been offshored in large amounts. And so the thought was, hey, let's go out and find a big site where we can find a transformational uh, manufacturer to come and bring some of those jobs back. We knew that this part of North Carolina had this great, um, uh, had this great opportunity with all of our manu- manufacturing talent that we've got. Um, and we've seen some of those jobs be redone in kind of 
uh, Honda Jet is building airplanes. And, and so we knew that we had that incredible manufacturing skill set here, that legacy that we've had. And so uh, we went out and started to assemble a mega site. A mega site, again, is 1,000 acres plus. Um, it's easy to assemble an, a mega site if you go find a couple of farmers out there who are ready to get out of the business um, and have that much acreage. Um, oftentimes, though, what you find when you do that is you've got a mega site that has um, an awful lot of challenges in getting the infrastructure there that is needed. So we went out and identified a site that had, you know, a mile um, uh, frontage of Norfolk Southern Rail Line on the north side. On the south side, had a mile and a half uh, frontage of uh, U.S. Highway 421, had ample power, had, had gas just up the road, had uh, water and sewer just up the road that the city of Greensboro agreed to run there. And then the challenge there was uh, it had 90 some parcels and 70 some owners. Um, so not an easy task. Took us a while to assemble all that all that property. Uh, and along come about the time we got uh, most, if not all of it, assembled in 2017. Here comes a project uh, from Mazda and Toyota uh, that were jointly looking for a facility to build vehicles uh, in the southeastern United States. And we narrowly missed out on that. We did about five years worth of work in five months to get the site ready with everything that needed to be done for permitting and, you know, endangered species investigations and, you know, everything that goes along Alta surveys, just, just everything that goes along with, with preparing a, a site for development. Uh, and we lost out on that. And, and uh, that was disappointing, but the owners and the owners of this three, uh, there were three owners are uh, in this site, uh, Randolph County, Greensboro Randolph Megasite Foundation uh, and the North Carolina Railroad. And the great news about it is we had three entities that were committed to, to finding a, a transformative manufacturing project and didn't want to just chop up the property, held on to it, knowing that um, another opportunity would come along. Now, we were disappointed, like I said, the first time, but we just redoubled our efforts and kept making that site ready uh, and, and, and making sure that the next time it came around, um, we were going to be. The, the best site in terms of readiness and speed to market for the company and that sort of thing. Um, gosh, we were excited when it was Toyota again, um, because we just knew what a great corporate citizen um, Toyota is uh, and will be for the long haul. Uh, we were, we were crushed that we'd lost them the first time, but I can tell you along the way, we stayed in touch with their site location consultants. We stayed in touch with corporate officials. We made sure they knew that we were continuing to do improvements to the site. And so along comes this project. And, and I'd like to think we, we were very quick to the top of the list um, for this project. We still had to prove ourselves. We still went through a lot of, uh, a lot of investigation from their, from their team. And, and thankfully I think came out on top, but it's because we didn't just uh, we didn't just cry in our beers when the first one left us. We just kept going and saying we we're this is the absolute right site site for a project, a large project that will benefit this this region for decades to come. This is what we want to do. This is what we're going to do, uh, and we're just thrilled that that Toyota came back. And and again, they knew the site almost like the back of their hand. Um, again, because they'd seen it once before uh, and really liked it. Um, to the point where, again, we came in second. Um, but also we kept, like I said, kept them up to speed and kept them informed. And, and so they knew all about us. And, and there were a lot of um, the same cast and crew was part of this. And that 
great relationship and trust that we'd built the first time around, we just kind of fell back into it. And I think everybody um, feels great about where we are and the roles that everybody's played and the commitments that everybody's made to making sure that this happens um, for them and for the, our region and for the state of North Carolina. And, you know, you alluded to it. North Carolina has been in the running for a number of different automotive manufacturing plants over the years. And I think that really added to the level of excitement with this announcement that occurred last week. Uh, so really appreciate that background that you provided in making this this announcement happen and, and all of the work that your organization and many others have put into to making this a success and making this a possibility here today. So, you know, there, there's been a lot of momentum around the topic of electric vehicle related companies and electric vehicle supply chain here in North Carolina, uh, you know, with Volvo trucks in the Greensboro area, we've got a rival, we've got Thomas built buses over in High Point, and we've got companies that are working on extracting and refining a lot of the materials that go into making lithium ion batteries in the western part of the state. So was that a consideration at all for a company like Toyota in deciding to site a battery manufacturing facility in Greensboro, knowing that there are a lot of other companies that are in the EV space in North Carolina? And does that kind of play into the reason for them establishing this area as the, the location for that facility? Well, that's a really great question. I'm not sure that I can speak for them. And I, and I can also say it's great. We love the fact that, that this is a, a battery facility. I, I had somebody the other day say, you know, I know you were crushed when um, Alabama got that plant, um, but I want you to understand they got a car plant and you got a technology plant. And so you may have had to wait four years uh, or so, but um, we really think you got the better end of the deal. And I hope that that's true. I think that that's true. Um, but I can also tell you, we weren't, we weren't out there in search of an EV. That is a, that is an incredible bonus, um, for us. Uh, you know, we were just looking for a transformational, uh, again, I keep going back to that term, um, a transformational manufacturing facility that we could put, you know, thousands of people in our community, uh, to work at. Um, but wow, what a, what an opportunity we get because of that. And I think, um, I think the other EV, related uh, projects that you mentioned probably helped build uh, a little bit of momentum for um, Toyota to choose North Carolina for this. Um, you know, I, I, I also think uh, a lot of the technology that, that's being developed and being investigated uh, in the state of North Carolina, um, you know, helps as well. I mean, I think just the, the, the institutions of higher learning that we have in this state really helps as well. I know that they were very interested in, you know, North Carolina A&T and the engineers that are coming out of that and North Carolina State and the engineers that are coming out of that institution. Um, and so I think they were convinced that they could get an awful lot of cutting edge technology and, and a great uh, technology workforce out of the state of North Carolina um, and that we would be good. We would be great partners going forward in developing their product alongside them. So bigger picture, what does this announcement mean for North Carolina and the Greensboro area? Yeah, I think I, I think I just mentioned. It. I think I think what it means is that we get a a corporate partner who's committed um, to uh, to electric vehicles, to electrification um, for the long haul, and is committed to the state of North Carolina and the community for the long haul. And and I don't think you could ask for anything 
anything better than that. You know, even uh, yesterday they they made another announcement about even more of a commitment to to future EV uh, opportunities. And so, um, you know, just knowing the Japanese culture, um, they're they're long term planners and they're they commit to those long term plans. And so. Uh, again, going back to to losing them the first time and and, and being heartbroken, um, it it makes it even sweeter now that we that we have them, and the fact that our community and the state is going to be building the power plant for their vehicles for the next century and beyond. Um, that's that's something pretty pretty cool to say, and that's something that's a real feather in in our cap, our community's cap in the state of North Carolina's cap, that that Toyota, who in many ways is the good housekeeping seal of approval in the automotive industry, um, thinks so much of this community and of North Carolina that they're going to put this this first battery facility in the United States in Greensboro and in North Carolina. And 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 you know, you you mentioned it. There is a cast of collaborators and partners who made this happen, right? Randolph County, um, uh, City of Greensboro, State of North Carolina, North Carolina A&T, NC State, Randolph Community College, Guilford Tech. I mean, these sort of projects don't happen at this grand a scale without an awful lot of folks being involved in it. And I will, I will put in there as well, critical is Duke Energy. You know, critical to that is, is Duke Energy and a commitment to, um, to having green energy uh, to serve this facility uh, in the future. So that, that was absolutely critical to this project as well. Yeah. And that's, that's another exciting component to this announcement. Not only are, are they producing, uh, components that will be made and used in electric vehicles, but they're also going to be reliant on clean energy as well to power the facility in which they're making, uh, that technology. And, and you also alluded to as well that, you know, this is just kind of the beginning of, of Toyota's investments in battery technology and EVs here within the U.S. You know, Toyota had, had indicated that they're planning on investing over $3 billion in battery manufacturing in the United States. And, you know, North Carolina could be a contender for that additional investment. And as Governor Cooper even alluded to at uh, the event last week, hopefully we can get Toyota to come back here to North Carolina and build the whole vehicle around the battery as well. So really, really exciting announcement and, uh, you know, hopefully this is just the beginning of a long and prosperous partnership with Toyota in North Carolina. And then just last question for you, Brent, you know, bigger picture, looking at the, the clean energy landscape as a whole with your economic development lens on, are you seeing more and more of these clean energy related companies and electric vehicle companies that are showing an interest here in the market? And is that something that you're striving to recruit to the Greensboro area? Yeah, I, I will say that the Toyota battery project was not the only battery project out there in the marketplace as we were as we were recruiting them there were there were others uh, and so there are there are more um, maybe different brands but there are more of those to come and I will say the other uh, interesting part of that is that um, nearly all of them were talking about the need for uh, clean energy to service their facilities that that was a that was not a nice to have. Uh, for them, that was a must-have um, for them, and so um, I think we'll see even more of that in in the economic development uh, space going forward as well. So that's something that you know we as economic developers are are having to plan for in the future is to make sure that 
you know, not only did we have energy that can serve these facilities, but the sources of that energy is important now uh, as well. So, like I said, I think there, I, I, I'm, I'm sure that there will be more to come. Um, we've, we've got our prize uh, and couldn't be happier um, with that prize uh, because, again, it's, it's, a, it's a company um, in Toyota that um, I think is the gold standard uh, for automotive and, and will be the gold standard for a long, long time. Brent, can you talk about the relationship between the Greensboro Chamber of Commerce and the governor's office, along with the legislature, to be able to put together an incentive package appetizing enough to draw a company like Toyota to the region? These big deals, like I said, it, it, uh, you, you find out very quickly um, on, a, on a big deal like this how much of a team sport economic development is and 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 how you have to have a commitment um, from everyone to, to getting it done. And so, you know, 10 or so years ago, you know, when when the the community leaders uh, went to, um, you know, the state of North Carolina and said, we'll find the mega site, but you all will need to come up and help us with the incentives when one of these big projects comes along. Because, you know, not only do you need the site, but we're also going to have to compete in the southeast. And we've seen um, some reluctance in the past for North Carolina to play in that incentive arena. Um, and so there was a commitment on both sides. And, and here was the proof point, right? So, you know, the mega site is in play. Um, you have an incredible uh, company looking at it and they like what they see. They're convinced that they can do what they need to do on the site and that it can be ready for them in time to, to begin construction. And, 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 you know, we'll, we'll get the product that they need out and on, on the time frame that they need. But there's also a, an incentive component to that, right? Because we're not the only site in play. Um, you know, there are multiple sites when you're looking at a project like this. And, you know, I think they said there were nine states involved in this search. And, and I believe that everybody uh, would want one of these facilities in their state and in their community. And so the governor's office and legislative leadership, Speaker of the House, President Pro Tem of the Senate, um, everybody was involved. Everybody got to work, rolled up their sleeves uh, and made this happen. So it, it, it takes state level level leadership it takes um uh, local and regional level leadership it takes utility leadership it takes everyone being committed and making sure that um that everybody does what they say they're going to do and so um again i think that goes back to um four years ago when we first had this project and we came up a little short and there were some things on our site that we needed to fix um, that they weren't comfortable with, and we fixed them. And so that's part of that trust, right? As they came back and they said, oh, you fixed that. Oh, you fixed that. And we're like, well, what did you think we were going to do? Sit around and do nothing? Um, you told us what needed to be fixed. And so there was that trust involved. And I think there, there was also trust built around all of the players um, being able to do what they needed to do to make sure that Toyota could get up and running as quickly as possible because, you know, there's, there, there's a lot to be said for when these batteries are going to need to go into um, vehicles in the United States so that they can um, lead the way so they can have a competitive advantage. And we're all partners in that. Now we want them to be incredibly successful. We're a partner in that process because the more successful they are, the more successful we'll be. And so I think everybody felt that trust and that came all the way from the governor's office 
down to to local leadership at utilities and that sort of thing. Every all everybody is on board and everybody is a partner in this process and in this and then ultimately in Toyota's endeavor. And it it really reemphasizes the fact that economic development and jobs really is a bipartisan effort across the state of North Carolina and and we've seen that right especially with with clean energy and electric vehicles and the potential it has to bring the massive amount of jobs across the state in both rural and urban parts. Um, and so it's incredible to see the support from legislative leaders and the governor's office to come together to make something like this happen. Yeah. When you, when you, have, when you have jobs like this, you change people's lives. If somebody gets a, a first job, a better job. You, you're able to change people's lives for the better with, with jobs like this. And, and how, how could that be partisan? Right. I mean, everybody wants that. Everybody wants to improve the lives of people in North Carolina. Well, we couldn't be happier for your team and all of the partners that you had mentioned were involved in this this project and making this announcement happen. And and just for the state of North Carolina, this is just such a huge announcement for, for us. And um, I'm really excited to continue to see how it unfolds over the coming years. And for North Carolina to be that hub of battery manufacturing and of the electric vehicle industry. So, Brent... Thank you so much for joining us today on this episode of the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast. I really enjoyed the conversation. My pleasure. Happy to come back anytime. How's that for an insider's perspective on what's considered the largest private investment in North Carolina's history? Another exciting note, as part of the incentive package in recruiting Toyota to the state, the company has the opportunity to unlock additional state resources and incentives if they commit to their initial investment plans within the first three years and potentially build out into a phase two. That second phase would bring the total investment to $3.4 billion and 3,875 jobs. Well, as we heard from Brent, chambers are integral partners in attracting new businesses to our state while opening the door for growth within existing sectors, such as clean energy. I'll use that as a segue to introduce part two of our episode, where we're excited to welcome back our friends Susan Monroe with the Chambers for Innovation and Clean Energy and Lori Barnhart, of Conservatives for Clean Energy to talk about their annual Clean Energy Champions event. And who knows, maybe the Greensboro Chamber and Toyota will be in the running for an award at next year's event. In fact, the Toyota announcement came just a day before this year's Clean Energy Champions event. All right, let's jump into our conversation with our next two fantastic guests. All right, Susan, Lori, it's great to have you both back on the Squeaky Clean Energy podcast. Last time we had you both here, we were catching up about the 2020 version of the most anticipated clean energy event of the year, your Clean Energy Champions event, co-hosted by Chambers for Innovation and Clean Energy and Conservatives for Clean Energy. Well, now we've made it through 2021, and your teams have both successfully hosted another event in which, um, you know, I, I really like this event as it's a great recap of all of the clean energy activity that's taken place in our state over the past year. We've had a lot of policy wins, a lot of executive action wins, and a lot of economic development wins, as we just heard from our new friend Brent uh, in talking about that Toyota announcement as well. So just to, you know, at a high level and a quick recap for our listeners, can you tell us about the Clean Energy Champions event, what it is, and who it intends to recognize. 
Sure, Matt. Um, thanks so much. I'm so excited to be with you again. And of course, my um, co-host of the event, Lori Barnhart, as well. So this is our seventh annual North Carolina Clean Energy Champions event. And the goal is, is always to recognize the outstanding excellence in clean energy leadership that we have um, from our legislators um, in the state from our business community and their commitment to, um, to focus on renewable energy, powering their operations and other innovations that they have in clean energy, as well as focus on the outstanding leadership by chambers of commerce to really amplify and advance clean energy in, in the state. And before we dive into the individual award winners this year, can you tell us about some overarching themes that played into this year's event, Lori? Um, yes, thank you, Matt. So great to, to be with you again. One overarching theme and a comment that I thought was just so significant was Representative Soka's reminder that our business leaders must clearly and regularly communicate just how much they prioritize clean energy to our legislators. Businesses, whether they're large, medium, or small, they just need to keep reminding the legislators how important clean energy is and how successful it is. And it's also not only their responsibility, um, the responsibility of businesses, but it's also just, it's the responsibility of, of your average Joe constituent um, to the legislators in their districts to emphasize the importance of, of, of clean energy initiatives um, in their in their communities that they live and work in because um, we can't expect our legislators to to um, be mind readers right that's right and we actually just heard a little bit about that in our conversation with Brent about the importance of clean energy access to businesses and recruiting new businesses to the state that's one of their most important priorities as they're looking for, locations to establish new operations. And with the Toyota announcement as well, they're going to be powering a lot of that, their operations through clean energy. So clean energy is a very, very important priority for businesses here in the state of North Carolina. So this year, we, we saw another fantastic group of winners ranging from legislators to businesses to chambers of commerce. So can you tell us a little bit more about who was recognized this year and, and why? Yes, gladly. Thank you, Matt. Uh, I, in, in this case, I really particularly want to recognize Senator Tom Tillis, who was given our first federal Clean Energy Champions Award. Um, Senator Tillis has gone above and beyond, no doubt, in supporting clean energy, and he was a key leader in getting the infrastructure bill passed um, not too long ago. So that legislation is going to be so significant for North Carolina. Um, and Senator Tillis, he really helped make it happen in the Senate. Also, in addition to Senator Tillis was Representative Soka in the North Carolina House, who is serving his fifth term and who actually will be retiring after his term is completed next year to run, to run for Congress. He received an outstanding public service award for his just incredible leadership and achievements in expanding clean energy opportunities and market competition in North Carolina during his his, um, his terms in the North Carolina House of Representatives. And, and also in addition um, to Representative Soka on the state level, Senator Todd Johnson received an award as well as Representative Harry Warren in the House. Um, both were for sponsoring clean energy bills in their respective chambers. And I'll, I'll give you just a little more detail on that in just a second, um, as well as Representative Michael Lazora, who is in his first term 
in the North Carolina General Assembly. He was awarded our Rising Star Award for sponsoring clean energy legislation as well. So in particularly, Senator Johnson and Senator Lazora were leaders in Senate Bill 358, which is the CPACE bill, which we're really hoping will pass during the 2022 short session. And Representative Warren, that I mentioned earlier, introduced several electric vehicle bills, which passed all passed the House earlier this year. And now we just need to get the Senate to pass them next year during the short session, as well as the CPACE bill. So also, in addition, I want to just... Um, to tell you a little bit about one of our business clean energy champions, and that was Trophy Brewery, located right here in Raleigh and owned by local businessmen. They have shown how just, just exactly how small businesses can benefit from solar energy in not only lessening their impact on the environment, but also they get a break on their, their bills, utility bills. So not only that, but they, you know, Trophy also just, I've got to throw this pitch in because I was so impressed with them. Not only that, but they have a tremendous business presence in their community and they've done a lot for communities. Um, when I visited them um, to interview the, one of the owners, there was actually a road race going on and it was just so cool. It was like the happiest place. It was at night and it was all lit up. It was just, it was, it was pretty amazing. And the, the cherry on top is they have really good beer too. Oh, just, yeah, just to add, just to throw that in. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, David Meeker and, and the team over at Trophy have really been just such great stewards of, of the clean energy, uh, of the clean energy economy here in North Carolina. And NCSEA actually put together a video showcasing Trophy and their commitments to clean energy, uh, in which we'll include a link to in the show notes on today's episode. Um, and, you know, just, I'm, I'm so glad you took some time to, to really walk through all of the awardees this year. All of them are so deserving of the recognition for their contributions to clean energy in 2021, um, including Senator Tillis, in which as part of that infrastructure bill, we're set to see a lot of funding in North Carolina for the deployment of electric vehicle charging infrastructure, a number of other provisions as well. And, you know, we're so sad to see Representative Zoka retiring from the state house, uh, but we are so excited to have that leadership represented at the federal level as well. Um, and there's a number of other uh, deserving award winners that I would love to go into more detail with, but uh, we've got a few others that we want to talk about here, uh, including the the news from Nestle regarding their plans to build a $450 million Purina pet food plant in Eden to be run completely on renewables. So do you have any more details that you can share about that plant and uh, what Meg from Nestle shared during the event, Susan? Yeah, sure. Um, they, and so they were actually um, one of our business award winners as well. So um, we presented a clean energy award to Nestle really um, to recognize their outstanding leadership and engagement with North Carolina lawmakers um, at the General Assembly um, to engage, um, especially on House Bill 951. Um, they spent quite a bit of time and invested and invested their expertise and, and their voice to make sure that that was the best outcome. So they were very active in the late legislative process. We heard from Lori how, how important it is um, that Representative Soka um, believes it should be for businesses 
you know, to, to, to have their say, to have, to have their seat at the table to make sure that we have the best outcome available for, for energy policy in, in the state. So Nestle was very active on that front. And of course, uh, they have, um, they have a net zero carbon emission goals for their entire company, and that is going to be no different for their facility in North Carolina. It is their goal to secure 100% renewable energy for that new facility, and it is their goal to have that be cost-effective and reliable renewable energy. And as a matter of fact, that was one of their reasons for why they chose that location and North Carolina to have access to that renewable energy. So for those reasons, we we definitely um, um, presented Nestle with a Clean Energy Award. Yeah, and we actually, a few episodes back, had a chance to talk to Brianna Estevez of uh, Ceres, in which she had mentioned throughout the process, this was in the middle of the process of HB 951 negotiation, uh, in which the business community had written a letter uh, expressing some concerns about the bill in its current version, and Nestle was one of the companies that uh, penned that letter as well. So uh, we'll also include a link to that episode in today's show notes. So we've spent some time talking about our legislative award winners, a few of the businesses, but there were some other business award winners this year and chambers of commerces that were recognized as well. So Susan, can you tell us a little bit more about some of the other award winners we saw for the 2021 event? Oh, definitely. And you know, this gives me also an, uh, a, a good opportunity to highlight that there are 70 companies in North Carolina who have goals to be powered by 100% renewable energy. So Nestle, obviously, will join that. And when the, when they're on board, it'll be 71 companies. But we also have a company that, that we recognized at the awards event, and that is Biogen. They also have plans to meet, um, to meet its power with 100% renewable energy goal, actually by the year 2040. They're also transitioning their fleet to electric vehicles, and they're also encouraging their their suppliers that they do business with and their employees to also become fossil fuel free. So that's that's pretty exciting. Once again, they've been very active in engaging at the state level for clean energy legislation and you know, I think that's that's one of the reasons that when you saw um, House Bill 951 signed into law um, by Governor Cooper, it is truly remarkable that at that signing ceremony or at that event, you had it, it was a bipartisan event. You had Republicans and you had Democrats joined together to 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 bring about energy legislation that would benefit all North Carolinians and certainly all North Carolina businesses. Not a perfect piece of legislation, but really remarkable that it had that amount of bipartisan um, support. You know, speaking of, of 951 and policy here in North Carolina, you're also joined by NCSEA's own Peter Ledford. So I'll use the executive privilege of hosting this podcast to to hopefully plug a little bit of NCSEA and, and some of his comments during the event. You know, he provided a little bit of a, a recap of North Carolina's policy movement in 2021 and provided a forecast of what's to come. Was there anything in particular that stood out from his comments during the event? I think the key thing to watch in 2022 is how House Bill 951 is implemented. 
uh, it would be more important than ever that businesses and organizations working on these issues engage both at the North Carolina Utilities Commission and, of course, at the North Carolina General Assembly. The work is not done, and it will be very important that we all closely monitor how this, this legislation is implemented. Um, and most importantly, our North Carolina's clean energy policies and program is meeting the rapidly growing customer demand for greater access to renewables, energy efficiency technologies, electric vehicles, and of course, as well as um, battery storage. You know, overall, you know, taking a taking a step back and, and knowing that we've had a few weeks to digest the event, what is the importance of this group of award winners in advancing the clean energy economy here in North Carolina, Lori? Well, I just think it was a great mix of legislators, the local chambers and business voices all celebrating the success of clean energy in our state. We have so much to be proud of as North Carolinians and just for sure, it is such an exciting time to be part of the clean energy community in North Carolina. It's just it's just fantastic and energizing, no pun intended. And, and Susan, you know, I myself and I think a number of our listeners would be really interested in, you know, there's there's a big component of this event dedicated to recognizing chambers for their role in advancing clean energy in the state. Can you talk a little bit more about, you know, the partnerships that you know, clean energy businesses and others in the clean energy space forge with chambers, the importance of chambers to deploying clean energy technology, and maybe talk a little bit more about some of the chambers that were recognized this year. Definitely, Matt. You know, um, it wasn't that long ago when you um, brought up the words um, climate change or even clean energy. Um, you, you, you might see some business leaders shy away, but but now what we're finding is that, you know, the economic case is clear. It provides jobs and economic investment. And, and, it, and in North Carolina is one of the top states for job investment with clean energy in rural areas. So the impact of jobs combined with an investment and tax revenues and, and so forth, it is making a difference in the lives of people in North Carolina. And, and, and chambers see that. They also see businesses coming into their communities that not only um, support renewable energy, but they want to procure that renewable energy within the state. So they see that it matters to their investors. And, what, and you will hear one of our winners, if you go back and watch the event, one of our winners says, what matters to our investors matters to us. So the whole topic of clean energy investment and clean energy opportunities, what you're finding now is that chambers of commerce, they don't only have a seat at the table. Often they're sitting at the head of the table at those discussions. And so I'm a couple of our winners that we had this year, um, number one was from um, Clayton Chamber in, in Johnston County. Dana Wooten has done incredible work um, at the helm as executive director, and she has always been eager to be in those discussions and to advocate for renewable energy, especially solar development in, in her area, as she has seen that it's so meaningful and important to some of her members as well. So she's, um, she's been on many of our events with us and has been actively discussing ways to encourage more of that investment in her community. And we are also um, lucky to be able to feature her on a really heartwarming solar video um, 
um, highlighting solar investment in North Carolina and what that means for economic development and for the agricultural community overall. It also features Representative Strickland. So that was one of our winners. Our other winner um, is the Wilmington Chamber of Commerce. And wow, the leadership that Natalie English is providing to that chamber and to the region and the state is is extremely in, impressive, always willing to engage in those clean energy discussions, especially when it's going to be a positive impact on her community. Um, she is extremely supportive about the opportunities coming their way for offshore wind development. She said, and you will hear this, she sees the Wilmington area as being a major player in that market, and they will be, no doubt. So that was exciting to hear that support from her. Natalie also uh, took um, has um, taken part in the task force for the city of Wilmington um, to fight against climate change and to help commit the city to clean energy over the next 30 years. And she's always been, and the chamber's been a, a big supporter of clean energy entrepreneurial efforts in the Wilmington area. And they actually awarded Cape Fear Solar Systems with an entrepreneurial award this year. So a lot of chamber leadership on display this year. Shout out to Cape Fear Solar Systems, who's also a member of NCSEA. Uh, there also was, as part of the event, a video that was featured talking about offshore wind at a, a conference that was over in the, the Wilmington area, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and there were some really great comments in there from, from you, Susan, talking about the supply chain of manufacturing here in North Carolina and how we're well equipped to be ready for uh, the influx of, of jobs and manufacturing associated with the offshore wind industry, um, just given the fact that North Carolina does have such an amazing offshore wind resource here in the region. Um, so just last question, what else have we not covered related to this year's award winners that our listeners should know about? Matt, I would just I would just like to underscore how incredible it is that these issues are bipartisan. I don't think that we can emphasize that enough. Um, obviously, we have many champions on the left, but just as important are the champions at both the federal level, such as Senator Tillis and Senator Lindsey Graham, and at the state level, such as Representative Soka and Representative Strickland. Um, this is one of the few policy areas where we see things moving forward due to a bipartisan coalition that is working to lower electricity costs for consumers as well as creating jobs and adding to the tax base and creating a more sustainable future for North Carolina and the whole country. And I would say that is that has been a recurring theme throughout the year of North Car in North Carolina as it relates to clean energy, right? We saw 951 pass in a bipartisan fashion. We also saw this Toyota announcement happen in coordination between Republican legislative leadership with a Democratic governor. So we're seeing support for the growing clean energy industry on both sides of the aisle because there is that strong recognition that this industry brings a lot of investment in the state and brings a lot of jobs. Some of our most recent reports and studies that we've put out there have shown there are over 112,000 jobs in clean energy in North Carolina. And we've seen close to $40 billion of investment here in the state since 2007. So there's lots of money here in the industry, and there are a lot of people that are working in the industry, and I think folks on both sides of the aisle recognize that. So with that being said, uh, Susan, Lori, thank you again both for joining on today's episode of the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast. I really enjoyed having you uh, and looking forward to having you both back 
to provide updates on the 2022 event in which we might hear from some future award winners that have made announcements in the past few weeks as well. Uh, I don't want to steal any thunder or take any uh, credit away before awards given out, but um, we've had some big announcements in North Carolina as of late. So Susan, Lori, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Matt. Thank you again. Great to be here with you. My key takeaway from today's episode is that economic development and clean energy is a team sport. As all of our guests today alluded to, it takes a village to make announcements like we've heard from Toyota and Nestle happen here within the state. And although those announcements consumed a lot of our attention, there are many others throughout the state this year that continued to grow the number of jobs in the clean energy economy in North Carolina. Not only are economic development agencies and state elected leaders important to building out incentive packages, preparing sites, and various other aspects necessary to recruiting companies to the state, but other businesses, nonprofits, research institutions, and municipalities are all also critical in establishing an environment attractive enough around the company to create the right fit. I suspect as time goes on, we'll be sharing more exciting news of clean energy companies that have decided to relocate or set up shop here in North Carolina. And you know the deal. Let's stay in touch on Twitter. Give me a shout at Matt Abel, M-A-T-T-A-B-E-L-E for future episode ideas, questions for our next episode, thoughts on today's episode, and your worst energy joke one-liners. And episode 62 of the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast is in the books. But before you leave, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share the pod on whatever platform you're listening in from. Sharing this podcast with your network and growing the friends of the pod helps us get just a little bit closer to our shared vision of a clean energy economy from North Carolina. All right, that's it. See you all later.